Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the emergency medicine residents and faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Core Concepts of Emergency Medicine. Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the residents and faculty at CMC Emergency Medicine Department in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're excited to be starting a new series today, Neurological Emergencies here, and we have some pretty awesome guests to kick us off. You guys mind introducing yourselves? Hi, I'm Andrew Asima. So I'm an emergency medicine faculty member here at uh, CMC. And hi, I'm Rahul Karamchandani. I'm one of the inpatient neurologists here at Carolina's Medical Center and the stroke medical director for the hospital. And I'm Jessica Hoagland. I'm one of the PGY1s. And I'm Kyle Rodesheimer. I'm one of the PGY2 residents here. Today we're going to be talking about the new era of ischemic stroke care, and we're pretty excited. We're going to start off with a case just to kind of introduce the topic and get us going here. I have one year left of residency and, you know, say I was working out in the community in the middle of nowhere, we have a wake-up stroke. Somebody comes in at 8 o'clock with a history of diabetes, type 2, hypertension. Their last known normal is 11 o'clock last night. They're now presenting with difficulty speaking and right-sided hemiparesis. Dr. Simos, how would we normally care for these patients back in the day? Well, hopefully as an emergency medicine physician with that limited presentation, one of the things you'd be thinking about was, is this patient possibly having an acute stroke? I think the difference now compared to even just a few years ago is that a patient who was last known normal at 11 o'clock would not have been eligible for any type of revascularization therapy if their stroke ended up being an ischemic stroke, especially a large vessel occlusion, because we didn't have any approved therapies for patients that were that far out from being last known well. So while prior to, you know, 2015, we may have talked to a patient uh, about some type of heroic intervention, if they had a large vessel occlusion, that was really just kind of an an off-label use prior to a couple years ago. With that said, a little bit of the history, I can remember as back as the early 2000s, we would sometimes treat patients with intraarterial prourokinase. After prourokinase was no longer available, we started to use intraarterial TPA, and then we had the, the clot extraction devices that, that came on. So this area has really evolved, but certainly what we do now is, is drastically different than what we were able to do a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, this is a patient that would not be eligible, as Dr. Simo said, for any acute therapy prior to 2015. So specifically, the patient presents outside of the window for IVTPA, which is an evidence-based treatment, out to four and a half hours. And outside of that, the treatment is supportive care. So the game has completely changed with uh, the publication of the endovascular trials, the early window trials in 2015, and then the late window trials late 2017 and early 2018. So can you give us an idea of what we're looking for when we're trying to identify a patient who may have a large vessel occlusion? Sure. You know, I'd say kind of the holy grail of of endovascular intervention is trying to find what is the 12-lead EKG STEMI equivalent for a large vessel occlusion stroke. I suspect that that's going to be a clinical screen 
if it is, it's going to certainly need to be sufficiently sensitive and specific and also reproducible to identify patients. What makes sense is that cortical signs would be associated with a large vessel occlusion stroke. So those would be things like unilateral motor weakness, gaze preference in the setting of a left hemispheric event, aphasia in the setting of a right hemispheric event, neglect. And if you think about those as being cortical signs, there are a number of screens that have been derived that purport to be able to identify patients with large vessel occlusion strokes, but none of them have been validated yet. So we're really trying to still sort out how to best screen and identify those patients, not only in the hospital, but even in the pre-hospital arena. So basically, if we're looking for evidence of a large vessel occlusion, we're going to be looking for those cortical signs like aphasia, neglect, hemiparesis. Yes. All right. Seems pretty straightforward, I suppose. So thinking back in the past five years, how would you guys say ischemic stroke treatment has changed? What sort of things have guided kind of where we're going? What's your take on this? The biggest changes have been the publication of these endovascular trials, and specifically in 2015, there were six trials that were published that demonstrated the efficacy of endovascular intervention for patients that have a large vessel occlusion in the anterior circulation. Those were the so-called early window trials, and the idea was, you know, how could we potentially select patients beyond what we think to be a traditional time window that may benefit from the intervention. That took us into the publication of Dawn and Diffuse 3 in late 2017, early 2018. We're all aware that time is brain. That mantra is still true. But what became increasingly clear, particularly with these newer trials, is that time is different for everyone. So some particular patients have favorable anatomies, good collateral circulation that allows them to withstand a longer time period without the artery being opened than others. And so those have really been the biggest changes. I think the the game changers, as we say, uh, the early window trials 2015, the late window trials in 2017 and 2018. When a patient presents with these findings, large cortical signs on physical exam, you know, in the past, it seems like we just got a non-contrast CT scan. How is the imaging, you know, in the era of new ischemic stroke care changing kind of what we do? So there are really two components of the imaging when you're talking about a patient with a large vessel occlusion stroke. The first thing is you've got to confirm that a a large vessel occlusion actually exists, and that can be easily accomplished with a CT uh, angiogram that we're all familiar with. The second thing you want to know is in the setting of that occluded vessel, is the brain that is not being perfused by that, that blocked vessel still salvageable, or has it already undergone irreversible ischemia? And what we've learned over the past, really, 10 or 15 years is that CT perfusion imaging allows us to identify brain that looks like it's already been infarcted, in other words, dead and and not coming back, versus brain that's potentially salvageable if we can open up the blood vessel and restore blood flow to that region of the brain. So basically, we're still using CT angio to identify the blocked vessel. But if we're interested in learning what parts of the brain may or may not be salvageable still, we're going to be using CT perfusion to identify that. That's correct. That's correct. And the technology, CT perfusion, has been around for for a while. But we now have more evidence uh, as far as how to use it properly. 
in fact, I, I believe that even here at CMC, it's been used for over a decade, but it's a lot more slick, so to say, these days. The outputs as far as the amount of tissue that's potentially salvageable versus the part that's already infarcted, we see that in an automated output. That was a, a newer technology, a newer feature to, to CT perfusion imaging. So the technology's been refined and the data has advanced as well. And you guys have mentioned a couple of studies that have really changed kind of what we do in stroke care. Two big names that I always think about are Dawn and Diffuse 3. Can you talk a little bit about the data, how it's guiding our decision making and what we should look for in the future? Sure. So Dawn and Diffuse 3 are the, the newest uh, studies in this arena. And as uh, my colleagues already suggested, those are the studies that looked at the extended window. In 2015, we had four trials that were all presented and published in the New England Journal of, of Medicine, actually within a span of, of four months. And those trials, there was the Mr. Clean trial, which was done in Scandinavia. There was Extend-IA, which was an Australian trial. There was Escape, which is a Canadian trial. And then there was Swift Prime, which was done in the, in the United States. And each of those trials selected patients using a CTA to confirm the presence or absence of a large vessel occlusion but then to determine the, the salvageable brain, the penumbra piece, they used different technology. Mr. Clean just relied on a non-contrast CT. Um, a couple of the trials, Extend-IA and Swift Prime, used perfusion imaging and then Escaped actually scored the collaterals. What the two new trials did was, again, use the CTA to confirm the large vessel occlusion, but they all relied on perfusion parameters to determine whether or not the brain was salvageable. So perfusion imaging, at least for the time being, is emerging as the preferred way to identify these patients. The CT perfusion scanning, this is only used in large vessel occlusion patients, or how would you, I don't know, is that currently how we're using it? Is patients that you're suspecting a large vessel occlusion in the extended window? That's the idea. I mean, the idea is that if a patient has a large vessel occlusion, can we utilize CT perfusion technology, and really more so in these later time windows beyond six hours to help us make clinical decisions? You know, utilizing the technology within six hours is a little bit more of a controversial topic. And the reason that that's the case is because there were clinical trials that Dr. Simos alluded to that did not select patients with CT perfusion within six hours that were also positive. So the thinking is, are we going to be missing some patients that we could be helping if we potentially over-select with CT perfusion and not just use the CT and the CTA? But, you know, to answer your question, Kyle, I think one of the, the byproducts of using and performing perfusion imaging, not only on patients with large vessel occlusions, but on patients who have occlusions of more distal vessels or even stroke mimics, is we're going to be able to better identify which patients should be treated with IV TPA. And I think, you know, the classic example of that is with a couple of the most common stroke mimics. You know, seizure is a frequent or periictal phenomena, can frequently masquerade or present as a, as a stroke. We've actually recently had three patients who have had isolated aphasia, which were all probably related to seizures that clearly could have, have been a stroke. And then certainly the other big stroke mimic group are conversion disorders. And what we're learning as we do perfusion imaging on these types of patients is that perfusion imaging is going to allow us to distinguish these from, from non-stroke patients. So I think the way the perfusion data is 
first going to make its way into the treatment decision-making for non-large vessel occlusions is to help exclude mimics from ischemic strokes. And then I do think that ultimately we're going to refine how we even select patients for treatment with IBTPA. You know, I'm honestly surprised that it's now been 23 years since the NINDS trial, TPA trial, and that we're still just relying on a non-contrast CT to treat patients with IBTPA. I think that the advanced imaging is, is ultimately going to be applied to those patients also, but we're not there yet. So talking about how we make decisions to administer IVTPA currently, with all of this new technology coming out, should we really be relying on non-contrast CTs to make decisions on whether to administer IVTPA? In the, in the clinical trials that investigated IVTPA, and in particular the, the landmark NINDSTPA trial published in 95, and the trial that investigated the extended window, the three to four and a half hour window, the non-contrast head CT was the only imaging study that was required prior to administration of IVTPA. So while I think it's, it's conceivable down the road that we may be able to better select what patients may benefit and, and rule out mimics, I think that I'll say, at least personally, the fear that I have is that are we going to be over-selecting again? It's that same conversation that we have about over-selecting with CT perfusion with endovascular patients within six hours. Um, it's sometimes hard to go backwards. I could see potentially CT perfusion being investigated outside of four and a half hours as far as TPA administration is concerned, but I think it would be tough to walk it back and to utilize perfusion as a means to select outpatients that wouldn't get TPA within four and a half hours. So we're here obviously at a large comprehensive stroke center. A patient presents into the emergency department and has dense hemiparesis and they're here at two hours. So they get activated as a code stroke, they go up to the CT scanner. Then what happens from there? Well, a patient who has any cortical sign now, you know, it, it makes sense to get uh, vascular imaging on those patients, you know, up front. If you look at the acquisition time for a CT angiogram, it's, it's really seconds now on a multi-detector high-speed scanner. And I think most centers are not only doing a non-contrast CT in a patient who presents with a suspected large vessel occlusion, they just go ahead and do the CT angiogram right away. Obviously, once that is done, a decision can be made whether or not the patient is having a stroke. If they are having a stroke, the important thing to emphasize, all of these trials that treated patients with endovascular intervention for large vessel occlusions, at least the, the ones that treated patients within the IVTPA window, overwhelming majority of those patients got IVTPA before they went on to have a mechanical thrombectomy performed. So the standard for now in patients who present within the four and a half hour window is to, to administer IVTPA and then get them to the cath lab if they have salvageable brain. So, you know, that's typically what's done in the, in the early window. As, as we've already spoken about, once you get in the late window, then you've got to not only identify whether or not there's a large vessel occlusion, but you really need to do the advanced imaging to look at the brain parenchyma. Just doing a non-contrast CT is really not an option based on, on dawn and diffuse. You really need the perfusion data also in, in cases like that. So still seems pretty complex to make a decision based on the presentation at what time period their symptoms are occurring. It seems like we're in a decision-making phase in this, you know, how we care for acute stroke patients. Where do you think we'll land in the future? Where do you think it's headed? 
it seems maybe non-contrast head CTs maybe aren't the best for making a decision about IVTPA. Like, where would you guys like to see us and think we're going to be in maybe five to ten years? I think there's a couple of different areas to look at for the future. And one of the, I think, the big concepts that we've already alluded to, particularly with these late-window endovascular trials, is the concept of over-selecting. If you look at the numbers needed to treat for these two positive trials, Dawn and Diffuse 3, they're 2 and 2.8. There is the idea that we're, we're missing some patients that could be benefiting by over-selecting them. I think that it's conceivable that there will be a randomized trial that actually just looks at CT and CTA in a late window and doesn't even include perfusion to see if it's sufficient to select patients for for mechanical thrombectomy. I think that's definitely one one thing that could be coming in the future. A couple of other things. We talked a little bit, or we, we haven't actually discussed this today, but we've spoken, Andrew and I, about tenecteplase, TNK, the alternative thrombolytic agent for which there is some data on that it has sort of a similar efficacy profile and safety profile to alteplase in patients that have minor, minor strokes, and it's administered as just a single bolus. It does not require the hour infusion that Alteplase does. There are ongoing trials investigating the expanded use of tenecteplase, both in minor stroke patients as well as in patients before mechanical thrombectomy. So I think that's something to, to keep an eye out for in the future. I think there's a good possibility that TNK may ultimately replace Alteplase. Certainly at, at centers, especially where starting a drip and putting a patient on a pump, especially if the patient's going to be transported to a higher level center, uh, it's much more appealing to be able to treat a patient with a bolus thrombolytic like TNK. And, you know, as Rahul has suggested, we've got data that demonstrate that um, TPA works at least as well as IBTPA. And actually, there's a trial that was just published last month, the Extend IATNK trial, that suggests that it doubles basically the arterial recanalization rate over IBTPA in patients who have large vessel occlusions. So I think, again, there's a lot of data that suggests TNK is just going to be used more and more for treating strokes as the uh, preferred thrombolytic, but we're not there yet. Are there any places currently that are actually using TNK instead of IVTPA? Not to my knowledge. It's happened before, um, sometimes not intentionally because uh, they're both thrombolytic agents. But I, I think we're at the point now where we at least have some data that supports us using it if necessary. And I think that there's a good chance that's going to be expanded as the new trials are published. Yeah, and, and for the first time in the Stroke Association guidelines, TNK does get a recommendation based on a trial that was done uh, last year called the NORTEST trial. It's a relatively low-level recommendation, but it's in the guidelines for the first time. So we'll see what happens. Any last comments? You know, we all know that there's been some controversy associated with IV TPA. You know, this has been treating patients with uh, lytics and now mechanical thrombectomy has kind of been with me through my entire career. I actually started to practice a year after the NINDS trial. And undeniably, one of the things that's happened as we've, we've kind of learned more and more about this is we've gotten better at treating patients with strokes. You know, the endovascular data is 
so compelling and so exciting. And especially when you combine it with the imaging that we can do now, it's, it's an exciting time to be doing this. Uh, and it should, you know, emergency medicine practitioners should be excited about this. There are very few patients that come in the emergency department that we're going to do more for than a patient who comes in with a dominant hemisphere, internal carotid artery, or middle cerebral artery stroke, who has salvageable brain that, that we're able to identify and then get them to the cath lab, who you know, goes home with independent function you know, two or three days later. Uh, those are really dramatic cases, and, and really they're not so unique anymore. I mean, we're doing this more and more, and, you know, this is something that, that we should all be excited about and hopefully embracing and obviously working closely with our neurology colleague to um, enable. So that's pretty cool. I mean, we get the opportunity to really make an impact in these people's lives in particular, and we have a lot of new technology, new studies, and new imaging techniques that are coming out to help us do that. Thanks for joining us today on EM Guidewire, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today! Seems you out. This has all been so serious. Can we, uh... I know. I mean, this is serious stuff. It Stroke really is serious. Is. Oh, me? Go for oh. it. Why don't you? You can do it. I wasn't paying attention. I fell asleep for a second, so... <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay.